The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. Morning, human. I am Greg Wagner, a member of this congregation. On behalf of our service leader for today, Mary Beth Stevens, Reverend Dave Dunn, who is on much deserved vacation, our director of religious exploration, Lexi Tagney Brown, music director Alex Peach, and my fellow worship fellow worship associates. And the dedicated technical team that is making today's live stream possible, I would like to welcome you to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, which we lovingly call human. No matter who you are, who you love, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. Um, you may have noticed there are no uh, order of worship printouts today for you. Um, it's just such an amazing service. We really couldn't fit it all uh, in the pronounce, but it's okay. I'll be holding your hand through this. Just relax and trust me. I got you. Uh, Reverend Dave is on summer break, and we have an exciting lineup of guest messages from members of our human congregation. June's schedule is in the human times under the events tab on our new website, which if you've not checked it out, you should. Um, also, after a three-year hiatus, Common Grounds Coffee House resumed this Saturday, yesterday, June 17th. The coffee house is held every month on the third Sunday here in the sanctuary for human and the larger local community to enjoy performances by talented local musicians. Doors open at 7 p.m. with the show starting at 7.30 p.m. If you would like to volunteer to be a greeter at the door or to help out in the kitchen serving refreshments, please contact Janet Lacey at coffeehouse at human.org. Did it, how'd it go last night? I, I couldn't make it. Was it good? Good. Glad to hear that. Sunday service reflections will begin about 20 minutes after the service. Downstairs in Fellowship Hall, room three, and needle crafters will meet in the Fellowship Hall, room one. I'd like to crash that party, if I'm being honest. Uh, the RE team is excited to remind you our summer programming is underway. RE activities take place with all ages together during the 10 a.m. Excuse me, service. There is no play group and no class after our service today. Thank you, everyone. We are such good friends. You know, we haven't been able to do the hand of friendship for so long, and it's just so nice to be able to do it again. And now let us light our chalice together. You don't have your order of worship, so I'm just going to read this part to you. May the light of truth illumine our minds. May the spark of love set our hearts on fire. May the flame of freedom burn brightly within us, now and always. Good morning. My name is Mary Beth. It's good to be here this morning. It's been a long time since I spoke here at Human. And in case you're wondering how long it's been, the last time I was here, I was able to print my notes in 12-point type. <laughs> it 
That was a long time ago. <laughs> but my older, blinder self is happy to be here this morning, and I'm glad you're here. So I'm going to um, take you on a little bit of a guided meditation. So just be comfortable. No need to get, you know, into meditation pose or anything like that. I grew up for the first 10 years of my life in rural southwest Pennsylvania. Every summer, my mom, my sister, my dad, and I would get in the family car and drive to Dahlonega, Georgia to visit my mother's family for a month. Today's guided medita meditation will take you along for part of that trip. It's 1969, I'm six, my sister is 15. We've just gone through the winding mountains of West Virginia where Diane only made my dad stop once to throw up by the side of the road. And we're headed into the state of Virginia. Why does the sign say Virginia is for lovers? I ask over and over and over. Diane has a transistor radio to her ear with the antenna out the window as she desperately tries to find something other than preaching or farm news to listen to. Shut up, I'm trying to find music, she yells at me. Virginia is for lovers, Virginia is for lovers, Virginia is for lovers. And then she found the Beatles. She turns it up loud to drown me out and sings along at the top of her lungs. We all live in a yellow submarine, a yellow submarine. My mother is smoking a cigarette in the front seat and looking like she's regretting all of her major life decisions. <laughs> then it happened. Dad said, okay, girls, let's play Quaker. The first one who talks loses. The winner gets a Stucky's pecan log roll. Ready, set, go. Now sit back in your chair and enjoy the blissful silence that my parents enjoyed for a rare few minutes while Diane and I played Quaker. I'll let you know when we get to Stuckies. challenges of talking to a group of UUs about Father's Day is that we embrace the broad tapestry of families around us, and many of them do not include a traditional father. And not only is that okay, but it's celebrated here. I thought how to make this talk radically inclusive, but then I realized that I personally do better when I speak about something I know. So I hope you'll understand that this Father's Day talk is mostly about my own experiences with extrapolations to the general world of fathers. So just a little disclaimer there. Did you know that 96% of dads these days attend the births of their children? In Norway, Finland, Sweden, and Denmark, my new favorite state, uh, country by the way, Dads get 16 weeks of paid paternity leave to bond with their babies. Um, at my company over here in Roswell, which is Danish company, we just started giving dads two weeks of paid time, which is better than most in the United States, actually. 
Today's dads build profound and powerful bonds with their children, which are as strong as, but crucially different from those built between a mother and child. This is also true of the dads we remember and the dads that some of you are. As well as challenging gendered parenting roles, gay fathers have told us a lot about the immense flexibility of the father's brain. We know from studies of heterosexual parents that mothers and fathers show different peaks in activation when interacting with their children. These reflect their different evolutionary roles, bonds, and developmental inputs. But studies on primary caretaking, gay dads show that in the absence of a mother, these fathers show peaks in activation in both the traditional mom and the traditional dad areas, which are also linked by a neural pathway to make sure they can communicate and coordinate so gay fathers can be everything that their children need. Both mothers and fathers build their bonds based on nurture, but dads add the element of challenge. And this reflects a father's role in launching the child's entry into the world beyond the family. Regardless of culture, fathers are seen to push developmental boundaries and introduce their children to risk and challenge. This helps the child develop mental and physical resilience. They are going to need that to survive in our fast-moving and challenging world. And one of the most effective ways they do this is through playing with their children. You dads out there, think about the first time or one of the first times you took your young child somewhere by yourself, just you and the child. Where was it and where did you go? And were you afraid? Did you think that you weren't going to be as good a parent as the child's mother? Your role as dad was incredibly important to that child, and what you bring to parenting is critical. I was talking to a coworker about this topic earlier this week. He has three boys, 11, nine, and six. He told me that the first time he took his oldest son somewhere without mom, he was nervous. The baby was just starting to walk, toddling around. He didn't want anything bad to happen, so naturally he decided the best place to take him was to a high school basketball game. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea. Dad got excited during the game and was standing up and cheering. The toddler ambled out onto the court, wrapped his body around a basketball that was just rolling on the floor. Soon he hit his little head on the court and blood started to pour. After a few wails, a thorough cleanup and some band-aids. The baby was fine and enjoyed the rest of the game. Dad got in trouble. <laughs> the kid, he tells me, is fine now, no brain damage. A confident sixth grader participating in school and doing well. So maybe we need that from our dads. Dads enjoy rough and tumble play with kids. It's a fast activity with your children where you throw them in the air, you airplane them around the room, you wrestle with them, and you enjoy the sounds of the shrieks and the giggles. That is good dad stuff right there. As well as being a lot of fun, it plays a crucial role in bonding and child development. 
According to the National Institutes of Health in the United Kingdom, rough and tumble play between fathers and children has been linked to many social, emotional, and behavioral child outcomes, such as reduced aggression and increased self-control. Dads and kids have evolved to prefer playing with each other due to mutual neurochemical reward, the kind of playing that mom doesn't offer. Most moms, some do. My dad put my training wheels on my bike when I was little, and about four months later, he took them off. We went outside, and he assured me that today was the day we were going to ride without training wheels. We went to the road, and I said, you'll hold on, right? You'll hold on. And he held on while I was pedaling. Once he saw I had my balance, he let go. I know you guys have been all through this. Everybody goes through this, right? He let go and just ran behind me, telling me I was doing great. When I turned around and realized he wasn't holding the bike, I toppled over, immediately toppled over and scraped my knee. But I was, I was crying, but I was also elated that I had done that on my own. Now, the mercurochrome that burned and stung and made me cry worse than the fall, but it didn't dull my pride. I had my balance and could do it on my own. That story played out almost the same way when he taught me how to roller skate. After calmly watching me fall, get up, try again, fall again, and then finally getting the hang of it, I still couldn't figure out how to stop. I just was slammed into the wall to stop. I still remember on the way home, he calmly explained that those rubber tips on the front of the skates are brakes. And I could just tip those down and brake and stop. I'm like, oh, why didn't you tell me that while we were skating? And he said, sometimes you have to slam into walls to figure these things out. Sage advice. So Dr. Linda Nielsen is a professor of adolescent and educational psychology at Wake Forest and has done extensive research that shows that fathers make a world of difference in the lives of little girls. And I don't just mean biological dads or dads who are physically present, but father figures who are emotionally invested and active in the lives of their daughter at every stage of development. Her research shows that daughters who had strong relationships with their fathers grow up no matter their economic or educational background, their race or religion, getting better grades, more emotionally resilient as adults than peers who did not have that. Specifically, fathers tend to take risks. Now, of course, this is not always completely true, but stereotypically, mothers tend to be more protective while fathers tend to let children figure things out on their own. And again, forgive my stereotypes, but letting me fall off my bike was a gift from my dad that taught me to balance risk with security. I'm not sure my mother would have been able to let go of the bike and let me fall. The Mercuricomb was, of course, her way of teaching me that risky actions have consequences. She was really good at that. And both are valuable lessons. And both of those actions made me feel loved and also competent and lovable. Before the age of four, we begin to learn how to deal with stress 
In fact, cortisol is very active in our brains, teaching us how to control our mood, our motivations, and our fears from a very young age. Dr. Nielsen posits that roughhousing with dads, jumping off couches, being tossed in the air, helps us set boundaries. There were other ways my, my dad taught me to take risks. My mother, bless her heart, tried her best to teach me how to drive a car, but spent all of her time on the passenger side stomping her foot on the imaginary brake pedal, white-knuckled grip on the door handle, yelling, look where you're going, and making me veer off the road. She finally relinquished the task to my father. We were going out one day, and we were going to tackle a curvy road. So he sat me down, and he said, okay, accelerate until you're halfway through, then slow down and gently apply your brakes for the last half of the curve. Okay, Dad, I got it. I did not have it. I took that hairpin curve way over the double line on two tires while screaming, ah! My dad never flinched. Once we got through the curve, he says, corners well, doesn't she? <laughs> I knew that I had screwed up, but that was part of the learning, and I got back behind the wheel with a new resolution not to kill myself or the motoring public. I had my balance, and I could do it on my own, and he never told my mother what had happened. <laughs> you know, we had rough times in my family. Most families do, right? I mean, we're not that unusual. So I'm going to back up a few years and talk about 1972. Um, my father's job status became unstable, and we ended up quickly selling our house and moving into a little single-wide trailer in a nearby town. Dad took a job as a maintenance man at a county rest home, and I started fifth grade in a new school. My mom went to work for the first time. She was working in a department store. My oldest sister went away to nursing school, so I was the one there to witness all of the family stress at that point. Although I have to admit, and I look back at that cute little mobile home with its early American furniture and gold, brown, and yellow shag carpeting, and I have really fond memories of it. One day, my dad came to school in the county truck and checked me out. I was elated to get out of school early. We went for a hamburger and a chocolate shake at a local spot, and as we were out there on the outside picnic table, he told me about how we were going to be moving to Florida, where he had a job offer managing an apartment complex. He promised me I would be able to open my bedroom window and pick oranges for breakfast every morning, and we would walk to the ocean. I was so excited. I listened to him and dreamed of my new life in sunny Florida. Then we went home, and I quickly learned from the tone of my mother's voice that he had not told her he was picking me up from school. He had just walked out of his workplace without saying anything to them, stopped for more than a couple drinks, and came to get me out of school. I had not gotten off the bus that afternoon, and my mother was rightfully freaked out. Dad's boss had been calling the house looking for him. Things were a little tense. There was no place I could go in that 840-square-foot home to hide from the sound of that fight, and there was no job in Florida. I learned that day and have heard it repeated by my older siblings that when my dad was under stress, he way overdrank. 
and he did really stupid things. Mom had to repeatedly take over and manage the entire family when he was not taking care of business. That was a pattern during his entire adult life and was no doubt one of the reasons he died before his 71st birthday. Cig cigarettes and a strong hatred of vegetables also precipitated that, so. But he was not a toxic father. He never downplayed my experiences and he never made me feel responsible for anything bad that was happening in the family. I know there are toxic fathers out there and I don't want to discount the negative impact those toxic fathers have on their children. But today I'm focusing on my perfectly flawed father. The guy who, when I was a teenager, quietly enforced my mother's rule that I make dinner and clean the kitchen afterward on the nights that she worked at a local convenience store. He and I would eat dinner, whatever I cooked, it was canned and nasty, but we would eat it. And then we would watch TV, either the Rockford Files or Kojak or something fun like that. And we both knew that that convenience store closed at 9.30. I had it timed, my mother would be home by roughly 9.47, 9.48. I would jump out of my chair in a frenzy at around 9.35 and start cleaning the, the dishes. Whirling around the kitchen, soap everywhere just you know, puddles of water in the floor trying to get it done before she walked in. He never yelled at me. He never ordered me to do it earlier. But one night while we were eating dinner, he did say, you know, if you did those dishes right after we ate, you could watch TV without watching the clock and worrying about when mom's gonna get home. Wow, I was gobsmacked. <laughs> what a brilliant idea didn't mean I stopped procrastinating at that moment. And those of you who know me well know that procrastination is deep in my DNA. But at least I learned there can be a benefit to planning and getting the hard stuff out of the way. Thanks, Dad. Father's Day can be hard for many people. It's hard for me primarily because I miss my dad. He died in 1989 when I was just 26 years old. We weren't able to take expensive vacations he was not able to pay for college or actually be an example of the importance of higher education. We never really had much in the way of material things, but I am thankful for him. His flaws taught me that life is imperfect. His downturns taught me that bad stuff happens to all of us. His devotion to me taught me that I matter and I'm lovable. His confidence in me taught me that I'm competent and capable. And his devotion to and respect for my mother taught me that men and women can have healthy relationships and treat each other well. In her book, After Forever Ends, author Melody Ramon writes, I had a daddy, didn't I? He wasn't perfect and he certainly wasn't the one I dreamed he would have been, but I had one all the same and I'd loved him as much as I'd hated him, hadn't I? All that distance, all that time wasted, but the fact that he'd inspired such passion in me meant something in itself. I can honestly say now that I think that's special. Screwed up and turned inside out, we were special, him and me, and I am so thankful that I can say that I had a daddy and that he mattered. All his faults and failures mean nothing to me now.
Thank you. You don't have words to read along, but if you know it, you can recite it with me. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. benediction is from someone you may have heard of, Barack Obama. I think back to the day I drove Michelle and a newborn Malia home from the hospital nearly 13 years ago, crawling along miles under the speed limit, feeling the weight of my daughter's future resting in my hands. I think about the pledge I made to her that day, that I would give her what I never had, that if I could be anything in life, I would be a good father. Happy Father's Day, you guys, and have a wonderful week. The Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia, thanks you for listening to The Human Podcast. Background music, courtesy of Tim Moore from Pixabay. <laughs>